Well, it's Sunday morning across the United States. Each Sunday morning, millions of people gather together for the purpose of worshiping God. They come to all kinds of churches. They come to big churches. They come to small churches. They come to city churches. They come to country churches. They meet in multi-million dollar sanctuaries, and some actually meet in rented facilities. Some of these churches have really loud church services. Some prefer more of a contemplative atmosphere. Some churches sing only the traditional hymns out of the hymn book. Others sing contemporary uh, worship choruses. Some preachers wear robes. Some preachers do not. I could go on and on listing the different types of worship services that are taking place now all across Texarkana, all across the state of Texas, and probably all across the United States. But in spite of all of the differences, there is one common denominator in every Christian worship service taking place today. It's this. Millions of Christians have gathered together to worship God. That's their purpose. All of these millions of worshipers fall into one of two categories. Number one, there are those who actually go to church and actually connect with God while they're there. There's a second group. These are the people who go and simply go through the motions without any emotions. Now, with very few exceptions, all those in Category 2 really want to be in Category 1. I mean, after all, why would anyone actually go to church if you didn't want to come and be in the presence of God and worship Him? But for reasons that are beyond them, there are some people that have way too many obstacles for them to actually come and worship God. For some people, it's doubt that they have about God and His love and His grace and His mercy. For some people, it's confusion. They don't really know what it is they believe. For some, it's fear. For some, it's unconfessed sin. But whatever the reason is, there are many people who go to church hoping to get something out of the service, but they walk away and they didn't get a single thing out of it. Instead, they go home week after week feeling a little bit bored, a little bit unfulfilled, a little bit empty. And the amazing thing to me is you got those people all in the exact same worship service. Some who go home exhilarated, some who go out not even recognizing the presence of the living God. I have actually heard these two conversations, not in this church, but in another church I've been at before. On a Sunday morning, as I walked through the lobby, I heard one man say to another, this was one of the greatest worship services I have ever had. And I kind of smiled as I heard that. I didn't have to walk any more than six feet when I heard someone else say, those songs we sang this morning ruined worship for me today. Now, what was my reaction to that? Well, my reaction is, it's hard to believe that both people had been in the same worship service. See, the most important element in any worship service is the heart of the person attending that worship service. 
if the person is bent toward God when they walk through those front doors, your heart will be full when you walk out. Jesus said, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. But you know, some people come and if you could look at their hearts, their hearts look like this. I dare you. That's what their hearts kind of look like. They're not really sure what they're going to get. And guess what? Chances are they might not get anything. Someone described worship to me not long ago as getting fully drenched with God. Do you remember the last time you were ever fully drenched? I got to tell you a funny story about Six Flags. You ever been, anybody ever been to Six Flags? Okay. There is a ride there. When you get it, it takes you way up. And when you come down, it comes plunging down to this lake and just splashes water. I rode on that with my son and my grandson a few years ago. It was wonderful. When we got off, we walked, and there's a walkway that goes across the lake, and there's a fence. And we were standing up by the fence. We were waiting to watch the next ride down. And one of the prison people, or not prison people, I've been in prison this last week. <laughs> one of the people in the amusement park said, you can't stand there. You've got to go across, and, you, and so you go back, and you kind of lean against this fence. When that next one came down and hit the water, a wall of water came shooting forward and just banged us against the fence, and the three cold boys were absolutely drenched. But we all said, we got to get Grandma on the bridge. <laughs> we wrung out our socks, and our underwear was hanging out the bottom of our shorts, but we waited all day long. This is during the, we had to wait because Nancy wasn't going to that. We waited all day long for Nancy to show up. And right before we were ready to close, we said, Nancy, you got to go right. Yeah, come on, Grandma. We went up there, splashed down. She said, that was okay. I said, well, come stand up. Let's watch the next one come down. I said, but we can't stand. Let's go back here. And so there we stood. Nancy, her husband, her grandson, and her son. And as it came down, I leaned over and I said to Nancy, you might want to hold on to your glasses. (laughs) Boosh! And she was completely drenched, and the Colt boys were happy. (laughs) Now, I tell you that, just to back up what I said, that worshiping is kind of like that. You get fully drenched with God. It's all-consuming. It's all over. It can happen anytime you want. It's simply a matter of preparing yourself. I mean, did you prepare yourself to come to worship? Luther used to say fasting and bodily preparation are indeed a fine outward training. He's talking about communion. You know, not eating before you come. Putting on your Sunday go-to-meet-and-close. Taking a bath at least once a week or more. But he said, that's fine outward training, but he is truly worthy and well-prepared who what? Who has faith in these words. Well, this morning we want to take a look at Isaiah 6 and see if we can learn something about meeting with God. And you've got the very first one up here on the screen already. But meeting with God requires to have the right attitude about God. Now, that's kind of interesting. That means a certain reverence or a certain respect for God. I mean, we cannot refer to him as the big guy or the man upstairs. God is not some sort of just impersonal power out there somewhere. God is a great God. He is powerful, 
He is good. He is worthy of our praise. And there are really two different sides of his nature. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Just think about God. Two different sides. One side we would call the transcendence of God. It means that God is way beyond anything earthly or anything that we could imagine. But on the other side is the imminence of God, which means that God can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. That's kind of what David was talking about in Psalm 138 when he said, For though the Lord is high, that's his transcendence, he regards the lowly. That's his imminence. He's there. Some of you are aware of an old hymn. You most often hear this hymn sung. I don't even know if it's in our hymnal, but you almost always hear it at funerals of Christians, at least older Christians. And part of the verse goes this way. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's the imminence of God. This transcendent, powerful God deigns to walk and talk with us. See, it's absolutely true, but sometimes we make this big mistake of ignoring the whole transcendency of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, somebody has described God with the phrase, holy other. Now, holy, I'm going to spell W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is something wholly different, completely different, which means he is not one of us and he is not like us. I mean, God is beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine. That's why he said, don't make graven images, because you have no idea what I even look like. He is greater than anything that we can comprehend. If you ever say, I got God figured out, guess what? You haven't. You haven't. Your brain is too small to wrap around something the size of God. God is more magnificent than anything you could describe. What Matt read to you before, in the year that King Uzziah died, look, and there's God sitting on the throne. We got to, I mean, Isaiah could only write in human language what he saw, but he couldn't really describe how magnificent that was. God is good beyond description. God is more powerful than describable. He is holy beyond description. He is completely independent of this world. And his involvement with us, us human beings, is purely by choice and not the result of something we did to bring this transcendent God to us. God is something wholly other. Now, Isaiah recognized this when he saw God. And you see a few of those things up on the screen. He saw God's majesty. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lofty. He recognized his greatness. He said his train or his robe filled the entire temple. He, he recognized God's supremacy. He said there were angels, you know, with those six wings. We always picture, what, angels with two wings? You know, play it, you know, they're playing their harp, and someday we'll be one. If that's what you think, sorry, that's wrong. You're not going to be an angel. You're not one here. You're not going to be one there. Some way, angels, like Matt told you, have six wings. Two, they cover their eyes. Two, they fly. Two, that they're covering their feet. And they're singing as they circle the throne. Can you even begin to imagine what that looks like? And they're talking about the holiness of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We're going to sing that at the end of service. And I know it's probably going to sound pretty good. Right? You're going to do a good job when we sing it at the end. But it's going to be nothing compared to the angelic choir singing it. You know, the glory, the whole earth is full of his glory, the Shekinah glory of God. So worship has to begin with the right attitude about God. But here's the second point. 
Meeting with God requires the right attitude about yourself. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story where uh, Peter was bringing the boats in one day, and Jesus happened to be standing there, and Jesus said, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Peter, who had been fishing all night, said, Lord, you're a rabbi, you're not a fisherman. We fished all night, we caught nothing, zero, zip, nada, no fish. But then Peter added this little phrase, yet if you say so, I will. Now, that doesn't sound like an enthusiastic fisherman. He probably said, I guess if you say so. It's kind of like when somebody says, clean your room. Okay. Was I talking to you, Derek? I'm not sure. But he did. Now, you remember what happened? The nets were so full of fish that the nets began to break. So they called their friends, and the friends brought the boats, and they were piling fish into the boats, and the boats were even beginning to sink. It was at that point that Peter realized who was in the boat with him. Do you remember what the story says in Luke 5? When he recognized that he was in the presence of God, when he was in the presence of the living Christ, the text says he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Friends, there's something about being in the presence of God that makes us aware of our own sinfulness. I hope you recognize that already this morning. As you came into God's house, as you came into his presence, it ought to have reminded you that you don't really deserve to be here. As one of the prophets said, who asked you to come trampling into my courts? Who who asked you to come and celebrate these festivals? We sometimes walk in and, and we have this attitude of, this is my house, this is my church, I belong here, this is my pew, this is my hymn book. Guess what? God says, no, it isn't. I mean, do you realize who you've come to see? I mean, have you ever met anybody really famous? You know, you come into their presence, you're you're a little bit awestruck. It's the way we ought to come into God's presence. What did Isaiah say when he suddenly realized he was in God's presence? He said, woe is me. I think in the old King James it says, I've become undone. In other words, like somebody just pulled all the bones out of my body. Woe is me. I, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man. I got unclean lips, and I'm with a whole bunch of other folks who got unclean lips as well. Now, he was confessing something. Let me give you a little Greek lesson here. The word confess is a compound Greek word, it means two words put together. The Greek word is homo legeo. Homo legeo. It comes from the first word homo, which means the same. And legeo, which means to speak or say. So literally it means to say the same thing. So when we confess our sins, guess what? We are only saying out loud what God would already say about us if he spoke out loud. Now, here's an interesting question. The last time you confessed your sins, did you say about yourself what God would have said had he been the one doing the talking? Did you really confess? Did you say the same thing? See, confession is agreeing with God. When we confess, we are saying the same thing that God says. So we need to see God for who he really is, 
transcendent, imminent, and see ourselves as we really are. But then here's the third thing we need to understand. Uh, it, it means that we are being made worthy to worship. We need to be made worthy. Worship is not something that we're doing for God or doing to God. When we get together to worship on a Sunday morning, it's something we're really doing with God. God's got to be part and parcel of this whole experience. Uh, We're not good, and if we try to pretend that we are, we do nothing but separate ourselves even further from God. However, if we are willing to admit that we need to be cleaned up, guess what? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, many of you know that verse. It says, if we confess our sins, if we confess homo legeo, if we agree with what God would say, God, God who is this faithful and just God, will do what? He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will get rid of all of our sins. He will get us ready to worship. That's why we always have confessions. I don't care whether you want to call it confession and absolution. I don't care whether you want to call it words of brokenness and words of healing. It doesn't make any difference whether you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee, or whether you use the words that we did today. It's the same thing. But it's at that point that God, through the pastor, says, I forgive your sins, I cleanse you. What happened to Isaiah when he suddenly said, Woe is me, I've come undone. It said an angel went with some tongs, And he went and he took a coal off the fire. And he flew down and he touched that hot coal onto the lips of Isaiah. Isaiah had merely confessed. He had agreed with God that he was a man of unclean lips. But then God says, I can take care of that. I can cleanse those lips. That's the exact same thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about when he said what Jesus does He says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. When we confess our sins, he washes those sins away. It's like putting the hot coal to our lips and saying, you are now what? You have been made worthy to worship. Now, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he did something really pretty amazing with his disciples. As an expression of love, he got down on his hands and knees and he washed every disciple's feet. He did what a slave would normally do to his master. But do you remember what happened when he got to Peter? Peter says, oh, no, not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you've got nothing to do with me. What did Peter say? Peter said, oh, then wash my hands and my head. Holy immerse me with you is what he said. See, Peter learned a lesson about grace. It's a lesson we all need to learn. That's unless Jesus washes you, unless Jesus cleanses you, you have no part of him. See, the lesson is that we can only be made clean by the grace of God. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we deserve his mercy. We are only like beggars. All we can do is receive this blessed gift from God. And that work happens day after day. Here's the last thing I want to say. The fourth element, worship is a lifestyle. Billy Graham, wonderful guy. His wife, wonderful woman. I I, I saw this picture not long ago. It was Mrs. Billy Graham washing dishes in her sink. And it said something about 
washing dishes with a servant's heart. And I thought it was an interesting picture until I noticed that above her, right in front of her eyes, above the sink, was a plaque. And the plaque said, worship services held here three times a day. Now think about that. If you were to put that plaque right above your sink, that worship services are held here three times a day. Now all she was acknowledging is that worship is not just a one day a week event. Worship is a lifestyle. That's what Isaiah means here when he said, I heard the Lord say to me, who will go for me? <laughs> to which by this time, Isaiah is so jacked up, he, me, me, over here, here I am. By the way, the rest of the text, I'm going to, let me tell you the rest of the story real quick. He goes, here I am, send me. And then all of a sudden he puts his hand down. If you read on, he says, and where am I going? <laughs> And God says to a bunch of stiff-necked, uncircumcised people of heart and ear, really nasty people who don't want to hear what you have to say. And then Isaiah says, how long do I need to stay there? <laughs> and God says, don't worry about it. That's the, rest of, that's the Paul Harvey rest of the story. Kind of sounds like the pastor's first call out of the seminary, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm ready. Where am I going? Oh, to a bunch of people who could care less what you got to say. Oh, how long do I need to stay there? Well, that, that's the rest of the story. But see, worship is much more than singing songs. Worship is much more than listening to a sermon. Worship is much more than following, you know, ritualistic liturgies of whatever kind it might be. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that says, Lord, here I am. I know who you are. You know who I am. You've cleansed me. Do with me whatever you want. Here I am. Send me. I think about marriage. When I think about this, you know, when two people get married, what happens? They generally stand down the front of the church and they publicly vow to love, honor, and cherish one another until they are parted by death. Now, the success of that marriage, and some of you can, to attest, can attest to that, the success of the marriage is dependent upon the couple's commitment to that vow. It doesn't make any difference how much money you spent on that wedding. It doesn't make any difference what color the bridesmaids' dresses were at that wedding. It doesn't make any difference how many people showed up at that wedding. It doesn't make any difference whether you had an open bar or a cash bar at the reception. All of that is nonsense. All of that is irrelevant. The wedding ceremony is not the marriage. If the bride and the groom are not serious about their wedding vows then the whole event was just so much monkey business. It was just a big charade. It was a waste of everybody's time and an enormous waste of daddy's money. And I say that because a good marriage is not determined by some fancy wedding ceremony. It is determined by the level of commitment that the bride and groom have for one another. Now, in the same way, in the same way, the music that we sing here at this church, the prayers that we pray here at this church, the scripture readings we hear at this church, the message you hear today is only so much pomp and circumstance if you leave here today without a stronger commitment to serve God somewhere, sometime, somehow this week. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the problem with a living sacrifice is what? It's hot on the altar. (laughs) And sometimes we're tempted to crawl off. But he says, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Let me go back to the beginning. Say it again. Worship is being drenched with God. The next time you get hosed down, the next time somebody suckers you in like we did Nancy onto the boardwalk and you get thoroughly drenched, I hope you remember being drenched by God. It's not just on a Sunday morning. It's every day. It's a lifestyle that you can cultivate. It's a lifestyle, friend. I'm just saying you can work at it. When you get the right view of God, transcendent and imminent, when you get the right view of yourself, unworthy, when you get the right view of what God can do for you, clean you up by the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't know what else you'd want to do than to offer Him your devotion each and every day. May God bless you as you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen.